This might surprise you, but we're in the book of Galatians this morning. It's our, uh, our fourth week, and you may be saying, well, pastor, for three weeks, we've talked about justification by faith. Why do we keep going over that? For the same reason Paul uh, wrote this letter to the Galatians, we want to be sure that we are well grounded in understanding justification by faith and all of that that means in our lives. Now, this morning, not that it's not been true in past weeks, this morning there's some really deep theological truth in Galatians 3. And, and I thought about it, if I can only tell you one thing, how would I summarize the deep truth in Galatians 3? And, and I've got a phrase for you, and you probably need to write this down. I mean, this is just incredible theological truth. And here it is. Dance with the one what brung you. I know that's not good English. I was an English major in college, but it's great advice. I'm sure there are several men and probably a woman or two in the room that went to the high school dance and left with someone different. And you probably figured out that was pretty foolish. Hopefully you figured that out. But besides the obvious meaning, dance with the one that brung you, has also come to mean if you found success and, and if you're, uh, you're on course then stay the course with the one who got you there. And that's kind of the message that Paul is delivering here to the Galatians. Be faithful, be loyal to the one who's been loyal to you. Seniors, I would say to you this morning, um, the ones who've been loyal to you, first of all, are the Lord God himself. Secondly, your parents. And third, the church. And by the church, I don't just mean this church. I mean the body of Christ. Uh, When you go where you're going, You need to be connected with the body of Christ because they'll be faithful to you, to love you and support you and help you grow. Let me mention to those of you in the venue, the seniors are here. Uh, Our high school seniors are here in the service with us this morning. They'll be with you in just a few moments. But if you hear me refer to them, that's because they're right here uh, off to my left. Well, so it's the message that Paul is sharing with the Galatians. Dance with the one what brung you. Why is he sharing that? Because they're departing from the true gospel message. They know that they were, were saved by grace. They began their life as believers through the conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit. But now they're, they're trying to go on and live their faith in Christ and walk their faith under their own power, trying to do things under their own power and their own works. And, and Paul is saying to them, just as no one can come to Christ uh, uh, apart by saving faith, apart from the Spirit, you're unable to do that, so also is it that no one can live by faith and please God apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, this message today is not on the Holy Spirit, but let me just mention, because Paul is covering this in the text, let me just mention some of the work of the Holy Spirit so you'll understand the importance of that in your salvation and your ability to continue to walk in Christ. First and foremost is, Scripture tells us, the Holy Spirit convicts us, convicts man of sin. In John 16, Jesus said that that was one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, conviction. And apart from conviction, unless you are convicted, um, there's no desire and no understanding of the need for change. But it's the Holy Spirit in you who convicts you, first of all, to come to faith in Christ. And then secondly, if you belong to Christ, when you sin, you can call it guilt, you can call it conscience, whatever you want to call it. But it's the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who convicts you of sin and shows you the need for change. Secondly, the Holy Spirit not only convicts us, but he leads us to repentance. And the Holy Spirit is the one who provides the power to change your heart and the direction of your life. He convicts you of sin and he leads you to repentance and and then he opens your eyes to the truth. You can't understand the word of God. 
You can't understand truth apart from the illumination of the Holy Spirit. He's the author of this book. It's like sitting down with the author when you ask the Holy Spirit to show you truth and guide your understanding. It's like sitting down with the author and letting him explain to you what he was writing and what that meant. So the Holy Spirit convicts, the Holy Spirit leads to repentance, he opens our eyes to truth, and then it's the Holy Spirit who works the process of sanctification in our lives. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13 says that it's the Spirit that works in the heart and life of the believer. And so what Paul is wanting to communicate to the Galatians is, look, you began the journey of faith through the Spirit. There isn't another plan, there isn't another process to continue that journey of faith. You also continue in the Spirit. Well, let's look in Galatians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 14 this morning. O oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does the one, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, Paul jumps right in in verse 1, and it's pretty strong language, even for Paul, but you can see the exclamation at the end of that first sentence. He basically is saying to the Galatians, how could you be so foolish? Now, Paul is, is not um, speaking out of love for them. In fact, his bluntness is, is evidence of his love for them. In chapter 1, he calls the Galatians his brothers, and in chapter 4, he calls them his children. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever said to your children, how could you be so foolish? Okay, that's not a shock or surprise when they do something incredibly foolish. And so Paul is saying the same thing to the Galatians. Now, he's not implying that they have some kind of mental deficiency. He's not uh, implying that they're dumb. I mean, if that were the case, then he would be more patient and he would instruct them and bring them along patiently. Galatians also weren't ignorant. So what is Paul calling them out for? What is he saying they're foolish for? They're foolish because they're being mentally lazy when it comes to spiritual things, and they're being careless. They were mindless in the sense they weren't even thinking and using reason when they were hearing unscriptural teaching. Paul was calling them out because they were spiritually dull. And he says in verse 1, what or who has bewitched you? You know, bewitched means to cast evil or to cast a spell on someone. And, and they were bewitched 
Um, they've been tricked or deceived with the hope of bringing destruction. The destroyer was bringing the false gospel, hoping to destroy these, these new Christians. And here's the thing about being deceived or being tricked. When you're, when you're spiritually dull, it's pretty easy for the evil one to deceive you or to trick you. And the Galatians were spiritually dull. We know, uh, we've already studied this, the Judaizers were trying to get them to believe that faith in Christ alone was not enough. They were trying to tell them, look, um, you've got to do more. Your, your faith, yes, God gives you grace, but you have to do more. You have to earn it. You have to deserve it. You have to achieve a, a certain level before God. But what is the truth of the gospel? The truth of the gospel is it's faith in Christ alone. Christ alone is the only hope we have. And we have to know the facts and we have to know the truth of Scripture. Hopefully, before you seniors leave and go the places you're going to go, hopefully we've done a good job as a church in, in working with your families in the home of teaching you the facts and the truth of Scripture because you've got to stand on the facts, you've got to stand on the truth. Because the Galatians were, were taking feeling over fact. They were taking human wisdom over the wisdom of God, and that's what got them in the trouble that they were in. And Paul is astonished they've been deceived, and you can see why he was astonished. Look at the end of verse 1. He says, look, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. That's all that Paul taught. In fact, if you go back to the book of, of, of Corinthians, Paul always taught Christ Jesus and him crucified. In, in 1 Corinthians 1, for the word of the cross is fully to the, fully, folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe." And what did Paul preach? The Jews demanded signs, the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians 2, and I, Paul, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God and lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you, Paul said, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul preached the crucifixion, not just to the Corinthians, but to every person, everywhere he went, to the Galatians, he preached the crucifixion, and he says in verse 1, look, I preached it so effectively that you should have been able to see it. You know, the Galatians weren't there, but Paul painted such a, such a clear and, and detailed picture for them. You know, the Greek word for publicly portrayed means a vivid description. And, and from that Greek word of portrayed, we get our word graphic. The message that Paul preached was so graphic and so clear, the Galatians could have testified to the crucifixion as if they had been actual eyewitnesses. That's how clear he preached the message to them. It's the message of the cross, and the emphasis on that message is Jesus' death for sinners because that is our only hope. If Christ did not die for us, we have no hope. 
we're foolish to place our faith in a God who could not actually save us. And we're only saved because Christ died for our sin and God in his power raised him from the dead, gave him victory over sin and death in the grave. And so we have that victory as well when we place our faith in Christ. Now look in verses two through five with me. Paul is asking the Galatians four questions to demonstrate the work of the Spirit in bringing them to salvation was by faith alone. The first question, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? What is Paul doing? He's pointing back to their time of conversion. At the point of conversion, at the instant of salvation, the Spirit indwells a believer's life, every believer. And over in Galatians 4, 6, it tells us that the Galatians had accepted the gospel and received the Holy Spirit, evidence that they had come to faith. And he's reminding them of this, not because they obeyed the law, this didn't happen, they didn't receive the Spirit because they obeyed the law, but because they believed the gospel of justification by faith, that's why they received the Spirit. Now think of this, at at the time of their salvation, the Galatians knew nothing about the law of Moses. They were Gentiles, they had a Gentile background, they grew up as Gentiles, they didn't grow up in a Jewish settlement where they went to the synagogue and heard the scriptures read. They knew nothing about the law. So they had been saved and received the Holy Spirit and that could not have happened through the law because they were totally ignorant of the law that could only happen to be saved and receive the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ. And you know, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life that is the primary evidence of their conversion. If someone's been converted, if someone has come to faith in Christ, you should be able to see the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. It's what we call sanctification. At the moment of justification, that's that moment when you receive Christ as Savior and Lord. At the moment of justification, when your account with God is settled, when you're made right with God, at that moment, you begin to grow in your relationship with God and in your faith and in your journey as a follower of Christ. And that process of growing, that journey to become more like Christ, of walking in a manner that pleases and honors God, that process is what we call sanctification. And the word sanctify means to set something apart for special use, to set something apart as holy. Listen, God's intent when you came to faith in Christ was to set you apart for his work, to set you apart for a journey, to set you apart to become more and more holy like Christ. And if that's not happening in your life, you might want to go back and question that moment of conversion. The Holy Spirit has the role of sanctifying us. If you have the Spirit, you belong to God. And if you have the Spirit, if you belong to God, then he initiates that process of sanctification in your life. Listen to Paul's words in Romans chapter 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So you see, the Holy Spirit not only has a role in in your salvation, but his ongoing work in your life is evidence of your salvation, of the fact that you've come to Christ. And so Paul's reminding the Galatians and us that the Spirit is received by faith, not by the law. Here's the second question you see him asking in verse 3. So you know you've received the Spirit by faith. Well, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected 
in the flesh. What is he saying? Look, if you began your life in Christ with the Spirit, why would you think you can attain the goal of living to honor and please God by some other means, by your own work or your own effort or your own power? It's the Spirit of God that transforms attitudes and desires so we can fulfill God's purposes in this life. Listen, none of us, no one in this room, no matter how much willpower you have, no matter how strong you think you are, none of us can have the right attitude and the right desire that honors God apart from the Spirit working in us. But it doesn't happen automatically, does it? If you've walked with Christ for very long at all in this journey of faith, you you know it doesn't happen automatically. In fact, there are two different words that we use to talk about the Spirit's place in our lives. Indwelling and filling. And those two words both refer to the Spirit, but they're very different. In John 14, 6, Jesus promised that the Spirit would indwell believers and that that indwelling would be permanent. And the permanent indwelling of believers, of the Spirit in believers, is not just for a select group. Please don't think, well, I'm, I'm still a pretty young Christian, or I'm, I'm pretty mature, I, I don't have the Spirit. It's not for a select group, it's not for the super sanctified. Jesus said, for everyone who comes to faith, the Spirit would indwell. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says that the Spirit takes up residence and indwells every believer at the moment of salvation. It's not a later on, it's not a different experience. At the moment of salvation, the Spirit indwells every believer. There are no exceptions And there's only one condition. That condition Jesus mentions in John 7, that condition is faith in Christ. Ephesians 4.30, 2 Corinthians 1.22 tells us the Holy Spirit is a down payment. He's a promise of our future glorification. Now, I've used the word justification, meaning the moment that you come to saving faith. I've used the word sanctification, meaning the process of him making you more and more like Christ. Glorification is our future. When we were justified, when we were made right with God, we were freed from the penalty of sin. As we're being sanctified, as God is working in our lives to make us more and more like Christ, he is freeing us, not from the presence of sin, but from the power of sin. We're still going to live in the presence of sin on this earth. But as we're sanctified, we're freed from the power of sin. We no longer have to give into our flesh, give in our sin. But glorification is when we're relieved from the presence of sin. There will be no more sin when we're glorified. We're, we're relieved from the, the, the presence of sin, and we're going to be complete in Christ. That's the process that we go through, and it's all led by the Holy Spirit. So every believer has the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the ability to grow. Every believer has the ability to go on walking with Christ only because of the work of the Spirit, not something we do on our own. And and we have no excuse. We cannot say, well, well, I've tried. I can't do it. I, I can't seem to grow. I can't seem to live the right way. No, if you have the Spirit of God, you can. All those abilities are yours, but you have a choice. You see, the first word is indwells. The Spirit indwells us, but we have to choose to let the Spirit fill us. Just because you're given the Spirit, just because he indwells you, doesn't mean you're under control of the Spirit and that he fills you. You know, Scripture commands us in Ephesians, we are commanded to live filled with the Spirit, but like any command, we can choose to obey or to not obey. What hinders the filling of the Spirit in the believer's life? It's sin. You see, when you, when you obey God and when you heed the direction His Spirit gives, when you, when you follow His will, then you're filled. 
And when you are filled, you have his power so that you can overcome sin and live a righteous, holy life. You can't do it on your own. It happens when you let the Spirit fill you. And when you're filled with the Spirit, it basically means that he has the freedom to occupy every part of your life, guiding and controlling you. There's no decisions you make apart from the Spirit. There's nowhere you go apart from the Spirit. There's nothing you say apart from the Spirit. And you say, that sounds impossible. Yeah, you're still going to sin. You're still going to fall short. But the more and more you learn to live under the control of the Spirit, the more and more you walk by faith in Christ and you honor and please God with your life. But it's a, it's a choice you have to make. It's surrender. And it doesn't happen one time. It doesn't happen just at the moment of justification. It's something that happens daily. And as you surrender daily, the Spirit's power is exerted through you. It operates in you and through you to help you live a life that is fruitful and pleasing to God. Here's the simplest way I know to explain it. I was just talking to someone about this this week. Here's the simplest way to explain it. Imagine your, your, your heart is like a house. It has many rooms, a, a living room, a den, a kitchen, a, a dining area, bedrooms, closets. Imagine your heart is like a house. The ideal is that the Holy Spirit, has, he, he's a guest, you've invited him in, but he has free reign. It's as if the house is actually his, he owns it. He has free reign to go everywhere he wants to go. That's how it's supposed to be, but here's what happens. We sin, the Spirit convicts us, we don't confess the sin, we don't deal with the sin, we don't repent, and so we begin to push the Spirit back into the back of the house, back into a corner, and finally he ends up in a closet in a back corner of the house and you've locked the door. That's what it looks like when the Spirit indwells a believer but does not fill a believer. He wants to have free reign. How does that happen? Well, we pray daily for his filling, but the prayer alone won't accomplish that. The prayer has to be followed by obedience. And again, that doesn't mean that you're going to live a perfect life. You're going to live a more perfect life under the control of the Spirit, but you're still going to fall short. You and I still have to deal, even after we come to faith in Christ, we still have to deal with the infection of sin. Ephesians 4.30 tells us that sin grieves the Holy Spirit. It pushes him back in that corner or, or back in that closet. So what do we do? When we sin, we confess, and our confession needs to be immediate. Listen, when the Spirit of God speaks to you that you have sinned, that you have crossed a line, you have trespassed, you have violated God's law, the moment he speaks to you is the time that you confess. You don't say no, you don't say later, because when you say no, when you say later, it doesn't happen. And your ears begin to get clogged. And the more you say no and the more you say later and the more you don't deal with your sin, the harder it is to hear the voice of the Spirit even as a follower of Christ. So when the Spirit convicts, you confess immediately. You genuinely repent. You don't confess your sin knowing you plan to do the same thing again next weekend. You genuinely repent. You change course. You change direction. You, you figure out how can I make sure that I'm going this way and not moving toward that sin. And then you make a renewed commitment that you're going to live under the control of the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit daily. Paul's third question, verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain? What's he talking about? Well, in Acts 13 and 14, if you go back and look and read the account of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey when they went to Galatia, to that region, when they went there, because of the message they were preaching, salvation 
uh, grace by faith alone, they suffered a great deal of persecution from the Jews. And the Galatians, as they began, began to come to the point of believing in Christ, they were also persecuted. And so Paul's reminding them of that, and, and without saying it, he's asking the question, hey, do you remember who enabled you to bear the persecution? It was the Holy Spirit who enabled you to stand strong and to be firm in your faith in spite of that persecution. Do you remember that? And if you do, why are you now being so foolish as to turn from obeying the Spirit to obeying the law of the Jews, the very people who cause your suffering? Question number four, verse five. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? What's Paul talking about? The incredible changes the Galatians saw in their own lives when they believed. It, it was a miracle. The changes that occurred in their lives. They knew about their individual lives. They knew about other believers in that community. They saw the incredible change, the miraculous change that the Spirit brought in them when they came to the point of faith. But he's also referring to what they had seen even before they came to faith when Paul and Barnabas came to preach and they saw the miraculous signs and wonders. Acts 14 verse 3 tells us while they were in Galatia, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them, enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. So Paul's reminding them, look, the miracles you saw when we were with you was the work of the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit was doing was confirming the message we preached. And the message we preached was grace, not works. It was faith, not earning credits or points with God. It was grace through faith alone, and the Spirit did these miracles to confirm the message because neither the message nor the miracles had anything to do with keeping the law. It was nothing to do with human effort. It was simply faith. So what we learn in these first five verses of chapter three is this. If you're not going to be foolish spiritually, if you're not going to be led astray, you need to remember the sacrifice that Christ made for you. And seniors, if, you, if you've never done this, I want to encourage you to go back to that moment when you came to faith in Christ. And if you've not written that testimony out in the front of your Bible or somewhere where you can see it regularly, you need to do that. You've got to remember the sacrifice that Christ made for your salvation. And then secondly, you've got to reflect on the work the Holy Spirit has done in your life. All of us need to do that. We should be able to look back and see a track record of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That, that confirms our faith, that reminds us of what he's done, and it helps us stay true to the course, living by the Spirit of God. Verses 6 through 9, Paul shifts gears here, and he goes to, to an illustration. And Abraham is the illustration that Paul uses to prove that salvation has always been by grace through faith. What Paul's saying is, hey guys, this is not a new development. The Judaizers accuse Paul of, of making up a new gospel. And he's saying, look, this isn't a new development. We can go back and see this doctrine on display in the Old Testament. Why do you use Abraham? Well, Abraham was, was a hero to the Jews. He was the father of their race. They honored him because he believed God and he left his homeland to journey to a place where God was sending him. And Abraham didn't even know where that place was, but he believed God. He had faith in God. And so he went. Well, the Judaizers are telling the Galatians, look, if you want to become a Christian, you have to become a descendant of Abraham. Obviously not a physical descendant, but what they're saying is you have to be like Abraham. And how did they say you would be like Abraham? By obeying the law. That is not how Abraham was saved. Look at verse 6. Abraham was saved 
Verse 6 says he was made righteous by believing God. Verse 6 is a quote back from Genesis 15, 6. He believed God, not he worked, not he earned credit, not he did good things, not he was a good person. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Counted to him. That's an accounting term. Righteousness was put in his account. It was not a payment for services rendered. It was not anything given to him because he earned it. It was simply because he believed God, righteousness was credited to his account. Now listen, follow me here. The declaration of Genesis 15, 6 occurred 14 years before Abraham was circumcised. That was a big thing for the Jews. The Gentiles all needed to be circumcised. They needed to keep the law. Abraham believed God 14 years before he was circumcised. Abraham believed God 400 years before God gave the law to Moses. Abraham's faith could not have been based on keeping the law or keeping ritual. His righteousness, his justification had nothing to do with the law. It had to do with this. He believed God. So you know what? We would echo with the Judaizers. If, if you truly want to be a child of God, you need to be a child of Abraham. And what does it mean to be a child of Abraham? What does it mean to be a person that God declares righteous? It means we believe the same thing Abraham believed. What did Abraham believe? The only thing, the one thing that set him apart from all the others was that he believed God. And the thing that should set us apart as believers in Christ from the rest of the world is that we believe God. We're like Abraham when we have faith in God and we have faith and we believe that he will do what he promised to do, that if we come to saving faith in his son, that we will overcome sin and death and the grave and we'll be with him in eternity forever. So righteousness, Paul says, comes by faith alone. Now, that has to beg this question. If righteousness comes by faith alone, why then did God uh, command Abraham to be circumcised? Well, if you go to Romans 4, which tells us again that Abraham was justified by faith, it says in verse 11 that circumcision was a sign that he was sealed as a righteous man. He was already sealed by God. He was always, already declared a righteous man. The sign followed the sealing. Circumcision was simply a sign or a symbol of his commitment to God. God doesn't call for that sign anymore. The sign and symbol of our commitment to God is baptism. That's the symbol, that's the sign of the commitment we've made to faith and to following God. Bab baptism is like a wedding ring. You got a wedding ring in this room, hold your hand up. Everybody with a wedding ring on your hand, hold your hand up. All those wedding rings. You know that ring doesn't make you married? It doesn't. If you don't have a ring, if you lost your ring, it doesn't make you unmarried. If you're married, legally married, ring or not, you're married. What makes you married is your commitment. What makes you married is the vows that you made to your spouse. The ring, the wedding ring, is just a sign that you're married. Baptism is an outward sign of, a, a, of an inward spiritual reality. It's a sign of the commitment you've made to follow Christ. By the way, look in verse 8. I want you to see that God's plan from the beginning was that through Abraham, all nations would be blessed. And, and I bring that up for this reason. We're, we're all Gentiles here, as far as I know. I don't think we have any Jews in our congregation. It'd be great if we did. We're all Gentiles here, okay? So we can talk about 
us as Gentiles. Listen, we were not an afterthought or a consolation prize for God. Please don't think when you read about the Jews being God's chosen people that, well, God chose them and and we were not going to be saved. God just created us for damnation. No. If you look in verse 8, God intended to offer grace and mercy to us all along. It was supposed to come through his people. They were to be the blessing to all nations. But it wasn't like God intended to leave us out and he just had to take us as a consolation prize. We are deeply valued and loved by God from the very beginning. He planned to show us his grace and mercy. One other thing before we move on, let me, let me give you one other indication that justification by faith was not just a New Testament concept. You find it in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. Habakkuk is the fifth to the last book in the Old Testament, in Habakkuk 2.4, it declares the righteous will live by his faith. This wasn't some new thought, some new concept. You can see it from Genesis all the way through that God called us to faith, not to salvation by works. Faith has always been the channel through which God gives the righteousness of Christ to his people. It's always through faith. All right, let's, let's wrap it up here. Final two points here in verses 10 through 14. Verses 10 through 12, salvation can't come by obeying the law because the law brings a curse. The law is not, uh, it's not a blessing, it's a curse. Why is that? Well, if you're going to obey the law, obedience to the law requires perfect obedience in all things. So if, if you want to abide by the law to be right with God, that means you abide by every single law perfectly. You, you don't get to pick and choose. You don't get to say, well, this one makes sense, I'll keep this law, that one makes no sense. You can't violate even one part of the law if that's how you want to come to salvation. And so it's a curse because we can't keep the law perfectly. So we we can't find salvation in the law. It's by grace. Grace is freely given. It's not earned by any human effort to please God. We cannot please God by our human effort, and keeping the law doesn't help us please God. However, let let me reiterate something I said last week about the law and and about grace, just to be very clear. I do not, you do not have to keep the law to earn God's grace. But because he has shown us grace, we should have no desire to live lawlessly. Do you understand that? We don't have to keep the law to get his grace, but if we truly experience his grace, we should desire to live the way that he wants us to live, and that would not be to live lawlessly. Verses 13 and 14, Paul reiterates again, salvation comes by faith through Christ. And it's the object of your faith that's vital here. Not faith in yourself, not faith in works, faith in Christ. And these last two verses in this section summarize everything Paul is saying. We were enslaved to sin. We were under the power of Satan. Satan was the master that we were serving. We were under a curse because we had been disobedient. Every man, woman, boy, and girl from Adam and Eve forward had blatantly rebelled and disobeyed God. So we were all under the mastership, the rulership of Satan. We were all cursed because we were not capable of keeping the law. But what did Christ do? First of all, Paul says he redeemed us. He redeemed us from slavery to sin. And you understand the word redeem means to purchase. It is to purchase a slave, not to buy a slave from another owner so that you can own that slave. It's to purchase a slave in order to set him free. So when we're in Christ, we're no longer enslaved to sin. We're no longer controlled by the evil one. But not only did Paul say he redeemed us, he also released us from the curse. How did he do that? He took the curse. He became cursed for us. He took the curse on himself when he hung on the cross. 
And the blessing of Abraham that Paul talks about here in verse 14 is being justified by faith so that we're redeemed from sin, we're, we're freed from the curse of the law, and we receive the gift of the Spirit. That blessing is ours in Jesus. There's absolutely nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. It's amazing. In spite of our sinful rebellion, God loved us enough to go ahead and send his son. Before we even got over our rebellion, he sent his son who willingly was cursed and condemned for us. That's the message. And seniors, I'm going to send you out in just a minute. And uh, you're going to head upstairs uh, to the venue. Before you go, I want to summarize with three truths. Of course, don't forget, dance with the one what brung you. Don't forget that. That's memorable. You've got to know the truth. Some of you are going places, even if you're going to a Christian college, university, you've got to know the truth. Everywhere you go, you're going to encounter people that try to say, this is not the truth. God is not God. Jesus is not his son. Uh, crucifixion didn't happen. He didn't, wasn't resurrected. By the way, if you've been here for any length of time, we have many times looked at all the, the myths around the crucifixion and defended those not only from Scripture but from history. You've got to know the truth. You know, when, when Treasury agents and Secret Service agents are trained to recognize counterfeit uh, bills, they don't study the counterfeits. It's too many. They study the real deal. And they know it so well that the minute a counterfeit comes across their eyes, they, they recognize it immediately. You gotta know the truth. You gotta stand firm in, in the things that you've been taught. Many attacks are gonna come against you. And you've gotta know the truth well enough that you're able to stand firm when those attacks come. That you know the truth and you can continue to go back to the truth and stand on the truth. And then finally, you gotta depend on the spirit. You gotta depend on the spirit. You can't depend on mom and dad. You shouldn't have been depending on them for your spiritual life since you've been old enough to, to feed yourself anyway. But as you go and you're out from under their tutelage and out from under um, them as, as coaches, you've got to depend on the spirit. You can't even depend on your church. Many of you are moving off from here. I hope you'll find a church. I hope you get engaged in a church that will teach the truth. You'll find a church that continues to teach the truth and build on that foundation but you've got to follow the Spirit. That requires daily seeking Him, asking Him to guard you, to guard your thoughts, to guard your, your, what, you're, what you're hearing, what's coming in your ears, to help you walk with Him. It's all about continuing on the way you began. All right, why don't you guys quietly go ahead and uh, make your way upstairs and be joining the venue in just a minute as they are wrapping up their service. And while they're going, church, I hope that you will Many of you know at least one of these. I hope you'll be faithful to pray for them, that they would stand on the truth that's been invested in them, that they'll stand firm, and that they'll be faithful to choose daily to walk by the Spirit. Would you bow with me here in the worship center and the venue as well? Would you bow your heads for just a moment? We always finish our time in the Word with a time for response. That can be quietly, privately where you're seated. That may be that you need to respond by seeking out one of our pastors for some help. Can I, can I tell you this morning, if you find it difficult to follow Christ, if you find it difficult to live in a manner that's pleasing to God, that there, you have one of two problems. Either you don't have the Spirit, or you aren't walking in the Spirit. 
And until you come to a place of faith in Christ, and that's a place of surrender, you, you can't please God and you can't be acceptable to him. You can't live like he wants you to live. The main message of Galatians is justification by faith in Christ. What he's done and the price he's paid, you, you can't be good enough. You have to place your faith in him as Savior and, and as Lord. Let me just tell you where to get help today. In a moment, we're going to sing we're going to have a time of response in, in both venues here in the worship center and in the venue upstairs. During that time, you can slip out. I'll be right down here at the front here in the worship center. And here in the worship center and also in the venue upstairs, we have an area that's simply called Next Steps. And there are pastors there. We've got a pastor that will be in the lobby with a lanyard on that says Next Steps. We've got an area off to the left that says Next Steps. They're there just to help you know what your next step is and how to take that step, whether it's coming to Christ, uniting with this church, you have a prayer need, that's what they're there for. Now, if you're here this morning and you have a relationship with Christ, I wanna ask you, how, how's your daily walk? Does it reflect Christ? Would you say you're struggling? You know, the same miraculous power that brought you to faith in Christ is available daily. It's a choice. You have to choose to begin your day, surrender to the Spirit. You have to choose to obey moment by moment. What you hear right now, speaking to you is the Spirit of God. What has he said? What do you need to do?